is up, y'all? Welcome to the late night edition of Culture. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk a little bit of pro wrestling tonight. Been lots of news. Lots of things happening. Lots of shows. But we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Feel free to call in. Just hit me up in the app. I am your host, Leslie Lee Third. This is Culture. Woo! One last time. For Ric Flair, he had his last match, allegedly his last match. He says it's his last match. As we know in pro wrestling, retirements are never forever. In fact, tonight was about 14 years after Ric Flair's original retirement match in WWE against uh, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, whatever year that was. The I love you, I'm sorry match. Where before Shawn Michaels super kicked Ric Flair, he mouthed, I love you, I'm sorry. Because it it was like, it was, Ric Flair was forced to retire. If he lost the match, he had to retire. I actually think he came back and wrestled in WWE after that anyway. So like I said, retirement's never forever in professional wrestling. Maybe for Vince McMahon though. Jury is still out on whether or not this retirement is real at all. If assuming it, it is, it would be permanent. But hey, all right, we got a caller on the line. DeAndre, what's up? Go ahead, unmute yourself. What's up? What do you want to talk about? What's going on, boy? It's my first time in this. I know you've been invited. I'm be at work. But <laughs> going back to what you were saying about the, the, the retirement match, the retirement match against Sean Michaels, that was back in 08. Yeah. A that, was back, that was back. That was back in 08. I'm sorry. I love you, Matt. That was back in 08. Yeah. And he did come back, but it wasn't for WWE. It was for TNA. TNA. Okay. But yeah. this right here, this really is his last match. Cause if you know, if you remember, he was on his deathbed. Yep. Not too long ago. Not too long ago, he was sick. As a, he people was, thought he was gonna he, be. He was gonna be out here, like people thought when Wayne was a. Uh, Sick when little Wayne was in the hospital, they thought he was. We thought he was done. Yeah, but you know, Flair but see done. the thing, but see the thing. There's a difference between Wayne and uh, with Flair. Lil Wayne had seasons and stuff like that, but he also destroyed himself with all that lean and stuff he was taking. So you know he looked sick. Yeah, as opposed Flair. to back. Yeah, as opposed to back. As opposed to with Flair. Who who is legit like almost eighty? Yes, he's up. He's up there with Vince McMahon. I'm gonna get to him in a little bit. He's up <laughs> there with Vince McMahon. Now, as far as Vince is concerned, this is his retirement match. That that was his retirement for real with Vince McMahon. All right. So so you believe it's retirement? So people people are different. Some people who've worked for him are saying there's no way because thing that everybody says about him. He works nonstop on WWE. He does not sleep. He wakes up his day. He starts at one thirty a.m. with a workout, and it's nonstop that's his baby. WWE. That's his baby. I, I bought this for my daddy. I bought that for my own money from my daddy. But that was his daddy's first. Then he, then he wound up being here since the early eighties, and I appreciate him one bit, but. He's getting older. He's getting a lot older and stuff like that. And then not only that, it's, it's about time for him to step down. 
know what I mean? Yeah. Because you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it is a saying like, how long is too, how long is too long when you hold on? <laughs> Definitely too long for Vince. Probably a little bit too long for Flair. But I'm glad he was able to get one more in there. People, a lot of people were not happy. With the match, I watched it. I wasn't paying too much attention to it. Seeing fine. Obviously, Flair was gassed way, way earlier than he expected. But it seemed like uh, they took care of him. Lethal gave him the most gentle vertical suplex I've ever seen in my life. He just cradled him and lovingly drifted him down to the mat. And sure, dangerous, okay. But Ric Flair knew what he was doing. He knew what he was getting into. I mean, the promo he cut before, he said, you know, I, I don't care. I'm willing to die in this ring. So I'm glad he got to have his... his kind of a cringe off. moment right there. Kind of like a cringe moment right there. Like, oh, yeah, you, you did almost die. Yeah, he did. But uh, Jay Lethal thing, like, this is probably old, but he was on his podcast at one point. Do you remember when he was the first name the week left? Yes. That, that angle out, that shit was funny as hell. That shit was funny, but no, it, he, but he, he was in front. He, I, I want to say he idolized Rick Flair, and even Rick Flair himself was like, "Man, I'm a man. He copied me." Yeah, it's wild oh, how Jay Lethal ended up becoming an Andrade, <laughs> a, a, a black man, a Mexican man. Both ended up being the proteges you know, of Rick you know Flair, why Rick, of all people, the yeah, nature yeah. boy. That's so wild. Yeah, you, know, you know why? You know why? You know why Andrade teamed up with Rick Flair? Oh, of course. But how? how daddy in law. Daddy in law, and that's where the connections come in. Lots of father and son connections. I'm going to get into it as I talk a little bit more about Vince. But uh, Vince, but DeAndre, thank you so much for calling in. Don't be a stranger. Oh, much appreciated. Oh, hey, I'm going to try to come as much as I can. I'm going to try to come as much as I can. But every time, every time I praise my presence, I'm going to let you know. Pop All right, up. Thank you so much. I much no appreciate problem. it. Have a good one. All right. So, yes. We mentioned fathers-in-law, sons-in-laws. Let's talk about Papa H. I've been learning about Papa H. I've been doing deep dives in the WWE stuff. I have been getting rust cold level on WWE. I, to the point where it's like I can no longer even look at professional wrestling the same way. It's crazy how much stuff is out there. But one thing I... I didn't know, and it was kind of a blind spot for me, because at around 2012, I completely checked out of WWE, so I wasn't paying attention to really anything that was happening. Um, when Triple H started to become, you know, ascendant as, like, the head of talent relations, as well as, you know, his baby NXT project getting off the ground. Like, I knew the top-level stuff. I knew people were going nuts about what was the black and gold brand, and how it was so innovative that they were hiring talented wrestlers for a change instead of just, <laughs> you know, hiring people out of bikini catalog, lingerie catalogs or, you know, just college athletes who might not know anything about professional wrestling. Um, yeah, so they, Triple H, I knew Triple H was innovating because he was breaking uh, WWE's tradition of not hiring prof professional wrestlers who were trained at the time, and he reran some storylines and factions from Ring of Honor. That was all cool, right? 
But I didn't know that NXT started off with like an abuse and harassment scandal that ESPN helped cover up. I, I didn't know this until this week. I did not really dive into the Bill DeMott stuff until this week. I had heard people mention that. People mentioned it to me. I generally got the idea that, oh, he was an asshole. He was a bad trainer. You know, because he was on, what was he? he was on Tough Enough, right? And he kind of played the role of the hard-ass trainer. People kept calling him a dr- quote-unquote drill instructor. And so I kind of thought I knew the, the entirety of the Bill DeMott story. Like, I thought, oh, he was abusive to trainees because he was an old-school guy. And these new trainees, they are not coming from the old-school way. These are, you know, some of these kids have, like, college educations, you know. They're not coming there to be beat down like they're in the power plant, you know what I'm saying? They're not used to being, they're not former college athletes who are used to be getting that type of mental and physical abuse on a daily basis from a coach i assume that was sort of what went down and that's kind of what i think wwe's story on it is now but then you look into it and it's like no bill demont had already been fired by wwe once as a trainer because um one trainee kevin matthews a wrestler who i've met by the way i have a very funny interaction with him before uh one show that i'll talk about sometime but i've met this guy this kevin matthews guy and he's a Great talker, big, tall guy, great shape. Seen made for WWE even when I saw him um, outside the show. And he had written open... And he's like, you know, his gimmick, his character, and his personality in real life. You know, he's a dick. He's an asshole. He's a jerk, you know. And in fact, in the line, he was making... We were at... It was an all-women's show, WSU. Mercedes Martinez was actually in the main event current ring of honor women's champion she was in the main event with a women's war games match and kevin matthews was out there making fun of everybody in line calling us all perverts for to see women's wrestling <laughs> it was actually pretty funny it was funny like so but that's like his personality he was he's not you know he's de- he's definitely closer to what you would consider an old school wrestling guy in mindset and he's not he's not he's not a he's not you know, and this is WWE's response to call these, you know, some of these people were complaining like, you know, soft, you know, weak, you know, not strong enough, not able to handle it. But this Kevin Matthews guy, he he wrote a big, long, open letter and multiple ones, in fact, it back. Oh, shit. Years before NXT uh, opened back when it was Deep South uh, was the developmental and Bill DeMott was the tra- head trainer there. And he and those letters ended up getting DeMott fired back in the day. You know, I think it was like 2000, maybe seven, you know, years and years ago. So w, so Triple H knew DeMott's history before he hired him to be head trainer of WWE. And the same shit happened again where the wrestler now known as Luchasaurus, AEW tag team champion, wrote in a letter to the talent relations in WWE talking about the abuses of DeMott. And it's worth getting into because it wasn't just like he was, you know, making him do too many squats. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was not the normal shit you might hear about pro wrestling that people in pro wrestling kind of accept as part of the shit they have to eat to get in the business. It wasn't that. It was like the training was actually 
causing injuries, serious injuries, injuries that ended careers. And there was also allegations of sexual harassment being allowed from the doctor, uh, from, excuse me, not the doctor, the, um, I forget what, one, one of the, um, I forget what he's, I guess he's like a personal trainer of some sort there. And he would take like creep shots of the women and post them to his Instagram. And this is, you know, a WWE employee with their trainees and people. And when Luchasaurus wrote this letter, what WWE's head of uh, talent relations department did instead of like investigating this, investigating DeMott, they told DeMott about this, that the trainees were complaining and to get them in line. So he basically started having like a, a hunt for like the moles and the complainers so that he could like punish them more and beat into them. like, you don't, you need to learn how to, you know, toughen up because this is the type of shit you're supposed to do in wrestling. And again, it was not just the typical, you know, harshness. It wasn't the typical, you know, stiffen the guy if he, you know, fucks up. It was stuff where people were do were tra- training, doing drills that had no purpose, except possibly to just injure them themselves because they were dic- ridiculous. Um, I think Paul, I heard Paul London. Um, it might not have been Paul London. Don't quote me on that. But I was just listening to the rest. I've been listening to a lot of stuff, but he was telling me about this drill that Demont had him do, where he would toss the wrestlers would get tossed out of the ring, which is, you know, a kind of a normal drill, but they also had to get tossed out and roll into the railing and hit their back on the railing. And like, this is not for a show. This is just training. There's no reason to do that unless you want to hurt the guy. And you can read these letters from either Kevin, Kevin Matthews or Luchasaurus. And they're extremely detailed, extremely detailed. NWE, under, and again, Triple H was head of t- talent relations and head of NXT. They did nothing but try to pr- uh, protect Demott and release wrestlers who were complaining. They fired wrestlers who were complaining. And then, and, and later, and sometime later on, Ryan the Myths, um, Dolph Ziggler's brother, you know, Dolph Ziggler, WWE lifer, been there for a while. Don't think his brother would necessarily. Um, make this shit up, even though this is what WWE uh, essentially claimed about him. He talked, he posted tweets about how there was sick, rampant sexual harassment at NXT. Um, and he posted this publicly, and Triple H's response Triple H personally went down to the NXT locker room. Now, Triple H, this is who everyone's calling Papa Triple H on Twitter. They're celebrating him because, oh my God, he hired, he. Brought back Eel Shirai and Evie, two of the best wrestlers in the world. Wow. Amazing. You have an infinite pocketbook and you hire good wrestlers. I'm, I'm shocked at that the quality of that long-term booking. That Just amazing stuff he's doing over there. Anyway, so Papa Triple H, what he does with the trainee wrestlers in NXT is he goes down to the locker room and he says, you need to tell your buddy, uh, Ryan, stop posting this stuff. You need to stop talking about this stuff. Your reputations and your careers are on the line. And these were women complaining who worked for WWE, who worked for Triple H, who were complaining about being sexually harassed as trainees. And that was Papa Triple H's, you know, response to that. That's who people are celebrating as the new head of, uh, 
creative at WB. I don't know. I don't think it's something to celebrate personally. And even, even beyond that, and we were talking about whether the retirement is real. I I think it's very doubtful that trip that Vince McMahon is not offering, you know, some advice. I think, I think he's probably had a text or two with Stephanie over the weekend. I, I I'm just assuming that they haven't cut each other off. You know, I, Stephanie, again, his, like his biggest supporter, their relationship is like Jelaine and uh, Glenn and her father's relationship. If you've seen some of those documentaries, but Vince nominally gone, can't be the face of the company anymore, but I think he's still behind, behind the scenes. I think he's probably still going to have some influence. Maybe not as much, maybe not as modular, Everything can't go through him now, obviously. But he's sending texts. He's, he, I mean, even his in his uh, letter, I, I don't know why we, we can't even call it retirement. Because it's not like he, like, first of all, you don't get a retirement. He's not, not like getting a pension or anything. It's more like a forced um, exit, actually, because he, he is put, being pushed out. We finally found out why, and it was that he is actually, again, under investigation by the by the federal government mcmahon versus the u.s government uh to uh federal investigation into his hush money payments I, i'm sorry i'm jumping around because there's so many layers to this but i i was saying that i don't think he's actually really gone but i i i do think he's actually really in trouble and i think th- do think he might actually be worried because he was really worried during the steroid trial he was actually scared of going to jail because obviously steroids were everywhere backstage in WWE at that time. Like there's no doubt about it. Everybody, everybody knows everybody admits it now. Vince admits, admits he was using it now, but the government just botched the case and they charged him. They tried to charge him with like distribution. And it was like Vince didn't need to distribute, distribute the drugs themselves that they had doctors for that, you know, like Vince was just, and Vince also was using it himself. So it was more like they were sharing drugs with each other. It wasn't like Vince was personally handing them out. And that was the government's theory on the case and it didn't work. But this case is, is a little bit different because it ha- it's all about the money. And it's about these payoffs. And Vince claimed when the, when the story first broke, he uh, the claim from WWE was that these payoffs, these hush money payoffs, for incidents of sexual harassment committed uh, committed by Vince McMahon and head of talent relations John Laurinaitis against uh, women, various women, including some former uh, WWE talent, these hush money payment NDAs. He, Vince said he paid for them personally, so therefore they weren't on the company books. He didn't have to report them, and everything was kosher. Turns out either that's not quite true or the very nature of those payments um, makes them makes makes them such that they should have been put on the books and WWE put out a press release uh, kind of contradicting their earlier one where it said oh no the books are fine now they're saying oh we actually have to go back and change and account for the uh, what is now 14 million dollars in hush money payments which is two million more than what the Wall Street Journal had already revealed. So it's also like a third uh, reveal. They also announced that WE employees are no longer allowed to trade stocks at this time. 
strange things happening over there at WWE. But one point I wanted to get to was whether the retirement is real or not. I actually think WWE and a lot of people are speculating whatever is happening with the company now, where is Triple H and Stephanie run it, where Vince is in the shadows. It almost doesn't matter to the McMahons because their plan is ultimately to sell the company. So it, it doesn't matter that much, like who's running it now, who's running it next week. So in that instance, I could actually see Vince McMahon kind of retiring, retiring. Because it, it seemed like it was coming anyway. And there's been so many moves that suggest that WWE is looking to sell. Now, after that sale, most likely there would still be McMahon influence on the company. You know, because they've, they've convinced the world that the only people who can run a pro wrestling company are people whose last name is McMahon or Levesque McMahon at, at this point. But they are, I think, looking to sell. And so this narrative, this kind of building around, oh, what does the future mean for WWE without Vince? What does it mean for Triple H to be head of creative? What's Vince, what's Triple H's WWE looks look like? I'm like, I don't think, I don't think his priority right now, when WWE looks like they're trying to get the company in shape to sell, and they're under federal investigation, and he's come back from a health scare. That forced him to do a re- in-ring retirement. Almost killed him. Almost died. And now he's taking on not one but two of the most stressful jobs. In all of professional wrestling. Where he is expected to be in charge of hiring and firing people. Everyone in the. All the talent in the company. Dealing with all their problems. As well as booking five something hours of TV a week and pay-per-views and going on the road for all of that when he was at home. I don't think that his priority right now is like getting Johnny Gargano's old faction together. You know what I'm saying? Like all the fan journalists, the wrestling journalists are kind of like very concerned with like, what's the TV direction going to be? How are the characters going to change? What are the factions are going to be, you know, that sort of thing. Who, who are the champs going to be? When I don't really think that's like a priority right now. I mean, federal investigation. I do not think that the storylines necessarily are like the big thing going on in the company. I, they're probably having Sunday dinner right now. They probably sat down, watched the Ric Flair pay-per-view. They're up in Stanford or maybe at Vince's condo. And they're sitting around the table. And they're just thinking, and they're 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 having dinner. I don't think they're sitting there talking about, hey, do you think we can get Adam Cole back? I I don't think that's the priority. I really don't. If you disagree, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are committed to this company and this future, and they have a vision, um, for for you know what W should be and they're going to rebuild all this stuff that Vince dismantled in the past few months. I don't know. Call in and tell me what you think. If you like, feel free to do so. Hit me up on the hotline. Is Vince really gone? Is Flair really gone? I think Flair is really done. I think it's safe to say that Flair's retirement is a real retirement this time. Like for real. He, he looked like he might retire before the match like was ended. Like, 
there was a, he was it did look like he was going to take a superplex at one point, and then Jay Lethal was like, no, no, that's not happening. Jay Lethal made that call. But if you saw that show, tell me what you think. I didn't catch up the other matches, but the card looks stacked. I'll have to go back and watch that. It is kind. Of, it is kind of funny and fitting. Vince McMahon, quote unquote, quote unquote, retires the week that Jim Crockett Promotions returns. Vince is gone. Jim Crockett Promotions is back for a weekend. It looked like a big show. It looked like they sold put a lot of asses in seats, sold a lot of tickets. Hey, even some of those asses were famous uh, WWE wrestlers. Undertaker was there. Foley was there. Michelle McCool was there. I would love to ask Michelle McCool about Vince McMahon. That's all I'll say. I would love to have a conversation with Michelle McCool about Vince McMahon. More than anything in the world. But I digress. Folks, call in if you like. Thank you for listening to Culture. And hey, if you enjoy Culture, make sure to check out Struggle Session at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com. Got a new episode coming out tomorrow. Double feature, Mad God, Spine of Night. Two old school throwback. Well, they're not old school. They're throwbacks to the old school. But they're brand new movies on Shudder. One, a rotoscope feature, one stop motion animation. Both absolute gorgeous, fun movies. I enjoyed them very much. We talked about it with Henry and Bob from over there on the Talking Simpsons podcast. They'll be out tomorrow, so check it out. What else is there? So, on my dives into the WWE, every time I hit, think I've hit bottom, I always go a little bit further. I always go a little bit further. Now, I got to warn you folks, it's late. It's late, but so we're going to get a little bit dark. It's 11.30, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Just wanted to share a little bit something I found with you. So, I was looking into the the absolutely horrific Chris Benoit story. And that was in the news recently, right? Um, Jordan Grace, TNA uh, Knockouts Champion. Great wrestler. She said something uh, people were talking about for some reason. They were talking about how, you know, we still need to remember that Chris Benoit is a great wrestler in spite of what happened. And Jordan Grace made a comment like, made a mention of his uh, CTE in a crude way. And people thought that was cruel for some reason. And she apologized and I think donated money uh, to some charity dealing with concussions. Now, and that's all well and good, right? But there's so much about the Chris Benoit situation that we don't talk about. Like we like all the conversation is focused on whether to talk about him or not, whether to talk about his wrestling or not, whether to watch his matches or not, which are, is kind of like not the point, really. Right. Like one thing I learned just just today, just just a couple of days ago from researching this is that. Chris Benoit, and you, you remember the fallout from this, right? Vince McMahon had to go on TV. All these, Chris Jericho was on TV a bunch. There were wrestlers outside the WWE, former wrestlers like Mark Merrow in China, who, and the debate uh, shifted from whether steroids were to blame, whether concussions were to blame. And 
whether some sort of and there was a kind of general and whether you know drugs prescription drugs were to blame and also that was all kind of mixed in whether wwe as like the wwe lifestyle in general was to blame and there were a lot of pro there were a lot of w wrestlers who came came on tv to kind of dispute all of that and kind of put it on you know chris just you know how, how, they tried to make it seem like it was just a, something went wrong with Chris. You know, this wasn't the guy we knew, but it wasn't steroids because Roy Rage would have been, you know, one Southern thing. It, it was very strange. They kept trying to deny that it was steroids because WWE at the time was trying to claim that it was clean after the death of Eddie Guerrero a year and a half earlier, even though uh, I learned this today. Chris Benoit had actually tested positive for steroids three or four times in that past year and a half since uh, Eddie Guerrero's passing. And of course, there was tons of steroids found in their home. And I learned that, you know, his wife, Nancy, was texting him, telling him speci specifically, like, your behavior has changed since you've been using the steroids, you know. And just very, very, you know, dark stuff and clear. And WWE tried all these wrestlers to deny the connection to steroids and also to deny the con connection to concussions. And WWE, um, I think Stephanie McMahon claimed on, uh, stand, on the stand that she had never, never seen a concussion in the WWE. Never. When there is video of her being present as a, as a performer at three different concussion incidents. Three, three, three times. Stephanie McMahon was there on screen when somebody got a concussion. Some pretty, and you can look them up, you can see the videos of them. Now, WWE's lawyer, lawyer later claimed what she meant to say was that there were no concussions under the um, wellness policy that they established after Eddie Guerrero died, which is like ludicrous as well. Like you can't go a year and a half in a wrestling company without a concussion. You can, um, you can barely go like a week and a half at a trailing facility without a concussion in in a wrestling ring. It's like just absolutely ludic ludicrous claims. And so you dive in and they denied the, and, and WWE somehow beat, their uh, CTE case, all like you remember, the NFL was sued for CTE for the concussions that the players uh, had and the long-term effects of that, and how WWE was negligent in studying this, researching this, and protecting the players. And the players won like a, a lot of money, a significant amount of money. WWE had a similar case, and it was basically laughed out of court by judges in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, uh, Bush and Trump appointees, the Supreme Court as well, and that's where you see where WB's ties to politics and Republicans uh, judges, especially in Stanford, Connecticut. You always look at their WB's cases; they win so many cases that seem like would be easy to make. Like they've won a lot of sexual harassment cases. They won they won this case about steroids. We know there were steroids everywhere. We know there's sexual harassment. In WWE, we've they, but they keep winning all these cases. Even a case about concussions, we know there were tons, been tons and tons of concussions in WWE. They talk about them on TV. Stephanie even made that claim about the no concussion thing, and WWE won that concussion case after 
essentially because they claim that they didn't know any long-term effects of concussions. Even though WWE in 2005 did a storyline with Randy Orton where the storyline was he was having concussions and they were having long-term effects on him. And that's why he, I think he lost the title to Triple H because of the long-term effects of the concussions on them. So that, and that's the new boss. That's Stephanie. That's her lying on the stand, allegedly lying on the stand, misremembering on the stand, I should say, misremembering things on the stand, uh, much like Vince McMahon, much like, it's kind of genetic. It was like Triple H, I guess Triple H isn't technically, isn't genetically his son, but like spiritually, but they all have like very, very strange short-term memories. Oh, but the main, most shocking, disturbing thing I lear- learned about the Chris Benoit thing, and I'm sorry to drop this on you, but it's wor- you have to consider it because people, I think people need to know this. So they did that tribute show on Monday, airing at 8 p.m. Eastern. And you see, you know, a lot of the people in the show, some of them are very heartbroken because uh, they've heard about the death of Chris, uh, Nancy, and their son. And WWE, once again, is trotting out their wrestlers to perform their grief on TV um, after they did so with Eddie Guerrero. And that was one of the highest rated Raws of all time. I'm not saying that WWE did that uh, for the ratings, but, you know, consider it. So they do this again, but some of the speeches are different than others. And I would highlight Triple H's and Stephanie McMahon's talk in particular. I think most people know that about William Regal's and his demeanor because somebody talked to him right before he went on and suggested that Chris Benoit might have been involved in this. And his demeanor is very different. When you look at Stephanie and Triple H's demeanor, I feel like it's very it's, they have a similar demeanor. And we know both of them at this time were in the upper echelons of the company. If there was something the higher ups knew, they probably knew. And what I know, and I don't think most wrestling fans know, but this is all documented. You can look this up. It wasn't. It wasn't made clear in the initial reporting by the media. It was deliberately obscured by the WWE. But people in the WWE knew before the tribute special aired that most likely Chris Benoit was the perpetrator. They knew, like WWE knew by five p.m what had happened and there's they knew they they absolutely knew and they still did the tribute special so that's stephanie that's triple h who at at the upper echelon of the company most likely knew doing this tribute even though they know what he did and i didn't know this as well it's not the only time it's happened i didn't know that they also did a tribute for jimmy snuka who we talked about on this show uh, before, who allegedly uh, murdered his girlfriend, Nancy Argentino, and Vince McMahon allegedly helped him uh, get away with it. I didn't, And he had been charged with the crime by the time he had died. He um, got off on a technicality. They ruled that he was no longer mentally... Uh, he, had, he didn't have the mental capacity to understand the charges against him. So they dropped the charges, but he was like indicted and WWE still put on a tribute video for him. 
I did not know this until this week. That's amazing. And Triple H is definitely right there involved in it. I think Triple H is actually in the video talking. And it's just wild stuff, wild company. I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope, hope, hope people don't fall into the trap of getting caught up in the storylines and who beat who. I was amazed this, that NBC, the, the Today Show, they had Roman Reigns on and they had him do like an in-character interview where he talked about his match against Brock Lesnar as if it was a shoot, as if it were real. And then Ariel Helwani did interviews with, I think, a couple of women. I think Liv Morgan and Bianca Belair, where it's the same thing. And it's like the mainstream media used and the sports media used to be obsessed with exposing professional wrestling and the WWE as fake. And the fans as fools for believing in this charade. But now when you turn in the onto these mainstream outlets... Which anyway, I shouldn't mention, of course, NBC has a billion-dollar deal with WWE. So that's why that's happening. I'm sure whichever outlets Ariel Helwani was doing these interviews for has a similar deal with WWE. I think it was BT Sports. And so they, these mainstream outlets and, these, and in sports journalism used to be obsessed with saying wrestling's fake and all the wrestling fans are idiots. And now they're interviewing Liv Morgan in character. Asking how much it meant for her to overcome the odds and beat Ronda Rousey to win the SmackDown Women's title. And they have that ugly looking blue thing sitting there. And Ariel Helwani is talking about it like it, like it means something. While, and this is after the news has come out, that the founder of the company is under federal investigation. Absolutely amazing stuff. Uh, absolutely, but hopefully, people there are there real journalists are still covering the story. I know HBO Real Sports is doing an investigation. Wall Street Journal guys are still on it. I'm still on it. We're gonna get to the bottom is, bottom of this, folks. That was culture. Thank you so much for listening tonight. Have a good one. Peace.